Hi, and thanks for listening to Ask the Pastor, a segment of the West Hills podcast where you have the opportunity to ask and receive biblical answers on your questions from our lead pastor, Will Tavall. Today's episode is a special recording from a young and married workshop hosted by Pastor Will and his wife, Polly, where they answer the question, what is marriage? You got to start with uh, an understanding of what marriage is. You know, if we're going to, if we're going to assess the health of our marriage, if we're going to, you know, seek to prayerfully with God's help, improve our marriages, we need to know what marriage is, what it, what God intended it to be, um, so that we know, you know, we have a, a, a frame of reference. So, um, I think, sorry. go ahead. I just like, part of me is hearing you say that and thinking, man, we're at a church. Like we all know what marriage is, but, and maybe you guys all do, but I'll tell you that, I mean, we were at a church and we had been Christians. And if I had gone to a marriage seminar within our first 10, like four years of marriage, like this would have been news to me. Yeah. Would have been Which is shocking away. to me, but yeah. anyways, I just think, yeah. yeah, I'm just piggybacking off what you're saying. So just in case we want to shock yeah. you, um, <clears throat> let's get on the same page biblically. You know, that's, that's the important page we want to get on is God's page, um, his word. What is marriage? So I've tried to condense and compile from all kind of the, the books and more importantly, the good book, uh, the Bible, what, what I think that marriage is. And so this is the, the irreducible kind of sum total of, of what I think marriage is, um, biblically. A God-ordained covenantal union between a husband and a wife for the purpose of glorifying God, sanctifying us, and populating the earth. All right, let me read that again take notes. That's why you got pens. I've got it written out. We're going to break, break down all of it as we go through, but the component parts here, but I think biblically a marriage is at its essence, a God ordained covenantal union between a husband and wife for the purpose of glorifying God, sanctifying us and populating the earth. So we're going to break down each of those component parts, starting with God ordained. So I'm going to read Genesis 2, 18 and 21 through 24. Yeah. Then, God, uh, then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed, its, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man, and the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Um, so, yeah, marriage was God's idea and part of his very good design for the universe. That's right. Um, the state can sanction marriage and give tax credits for marriage and whatever else. But uh, first and foremost, and most ultimately and originally, marriage was given by God. Number two, the second part here is covenantal union. So it's God-ordained covenantal union. What do we mean by that? Um, let's read Malachi 2, 14 through 16. First, the Lord uh, was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. 
So, again, just to pause and interject there, marriage is first and foremost of God and also first and foremost a covenant. That's what it is. It's a, it's a covenant, a, a promise. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? There you get the word union. Um, and, again, not only is it God-ordained, but in the, the best of cases, in the, uh, ideally, it's a covenantal union that's not only God-ordained, but God-infused, right? Malachi says that God has made you one with a portion of the Spirit. Like, God is actually, he's birthed a new thing. Like, when you... When you said I do, or when you say I do, if you're, if you're engaged, whatever, something new will be born in the same way that like when a woman has a baby, something new is born. You can't see it in the case of marriage, right? It's an invisible union. It's an invisible entity. But like when we go to marriage counseling, this is the way that our marriage counselor treats it. She's like, um, she's like I love you. I'm here for you. I love you. I'm here for you. But most of all, if I'm your marriage counselor, I'm here for the marriage. I'm here for the invisible, but no less real, no less important thing that was born when you said I do that exists between the two of you, the covenant union. And God's a part of it, right? So it's not, it's not just, it's not just uh, my covenant with you. It's my covenant before God and these witnesses, right, when you, when you get married. And God is is a part of it, and that's a part of the reason why we'll, we'll finish Malachi 2 here. Um, and what was the one God was seeking? Godly offspring. So we'll get to that in a minute, the populating the earth, the, the procreation part of, um, of marriage. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife or your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her says, the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So God, you know, plain and simple, this is God hates divorce. God hates divorce not only because it amounts to you know, the murder of this spiritual entity um, that, that is born, but um, because God, God is a part of it. <laughs> If God is a part of your marriage, if he's really bound up a portion of the spirit in your union, um, then, you know, that's, that's a significant thing when you're talking about, we're going to talk in a minute about two becoming one flesh and that getting ripped apart. Um, that's, you know, this is a really serious thing. And so this is what Jesus talks about in Matthew 19 as well with divorce. The Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his wife, leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So again, in God's eyes, when you got married, two became one flesh, um, and, and Jesus is very clear. Let no man separate. Um, you're, you're, you're no longer two. You're one. Divorce is not an option in Christ, Christian marriage. Uh, anything to add to that? 
Glorifying God? Oh, that's me. Glorifying God. Um, so it's marriage is a God-ordained, God-infused covenantal union for the purpose of glorifying God. We kind of skip over the husband and wife thing. Again, we, we didn't have any husband and husband or wife and wife signed up for this, so I don't feel like we need to necessarily speak to that. Not to say that everybody necessarily is on the same page, but again, we could go back to Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Adam and Eve, man, woman. Um, but we'll skip that. Go to glorifying God. It's for the purpose of glorifying God. This is what Polly spoke to in sort of our testimony is, you know, we, we didn't really realize that, uh, you know, marriage has a, has a purpose beyond just uh, giving greater validation to our feelings about one another, something like that. Um, that it's first and foremost, I, there's an order here. Glorifying God, sanctifying us, procreating the world. That's, that's the order. Number one, it's about glorifying God. So I've listed for you Colossians 1.16. All things were created through Christ and for him. So in the beginning was the word. He was with God. Through him all things were created. John 1. G- Jesus, the Christ, the word, he with God, in Genesis 1, he created everything through him and for him. Everything exists ultimately for him, including marriage, including this new covenantal spiritual union between us. It's for him. It's for glorifying God. Um, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, helps us, I think, begin to understand how God gets glory specifically, uniquely, through marriage. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, but he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. Get this repeated phrase, reminder, Genesis 2, over and over again. Uh, Hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So marriage, like everything else in creation, exists ultimately for the glory of God. But what we see here is that marriage, in a unique and special way, is intended to be a picture of, of Christ's own covenantal love for his church, for his bride. We're called in, in the New Testament the bride of Christ many times. That's a, that's a powerful metaphor, right, of Christ's marriage um, to, his, to his bride at the church. And so aside from being, you know, obviously, again, major part of our Christian witness to the world um, is that 
you know, the, the world ought to be able to look at our marriages, at Christian marriages, and see uh, a picture of Christ's love for the church. Again, this is another reason that divorce is so devastating, is it tells a lie about God's relationship to his church, about God's love for his church. Um, it's not based on, you know, feelings. Feelings come and go. Um, it's based on covenantal commitment. And so aside from that, that witness to the world, I think God is also glorified in human flourishing. I, I, I can't remember what sermon it was here recently at West Hills. I, I touched on this, just the idea that, you know, one of the things uh, that makes me happiest in life as a father is to watch my kids um, love each other, right? To watch these two people who I love more than anything love each other. And I think that's another way that God gets glory from our marriages, right? In the same way that he calls us to love one another in community, that was the sermon, uh, to love one another in Christian community as a church. Um, and he gets glory from that, how much more so in our most intimate, our most close you know, relationship of all in marriage um, is, is that God gets glory when we, when we love one another well and flourish and, and marriage allows us to enhance that. Sanctifying us. God gets glory and we get sanctified. Um, yeah, so um, the verse here we have is 1 Corinthians seven fourteen. The unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Um, obviously, that's getting into a, a bit of a whole other thing about, you know, whether or not uh, your unbelieving husband. But the idea that God makes marriage to help us become holy, um, that it's not about us becoming happy. Like, the goal of marriage isn't just to feel happy and to um, have all of your personal, um, you know, dreams met, but to make us holy and to sanctify us through that. So, And we can just... Can we just stop and take a moment to appreciate the degree to which marriage really does do that? Like, uh, marriage really does do that in a way that nothing else quite does because it is the most personal, uh, the most up in each other's business, 24-7 kind of uh, relationship. And so, you, you know, you're really going to find out who you are when you're married and you're really going to find out... Um, you know, the, maybe the parts of yourself that need to be sanctified the most, that God has a way of using your spouse to expose, but in a beautiful way, in a beautiful way that we complement one another, we round out one another's rough edges. Uh, you know, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen talks about iron sharpening iron, so one man sharpens another, so one man sharpens his wife and vice versa. That's, that's the sanctification. I also feel like that's probably the least talked about in... Um, I mean, you're just not going to hear anyone who's not a Christian talking about, I mean, it we'll is use the word language. sanctification. Correct. But, yeah. but so often it's about how, if you're not happy anymore, like why stay married? You know, it's just not, um, yeah, it's just so foreign to the world. I feel like. Yeah. You want to go sure. to populating the world? The world. Um, Genesis one twenty eight, and God blessed them, and God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." And um, we've got Psalm one twenty seven verses three and four. Behold, children are like heritage from the Lord; the fruit of the womb a reward, arrows in the hand 
of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Um, yeah, so God wants us to fill the world with image bearers for his glory, um, and marriage and family are his appointed means by doing that. So, um, yeah. uh, Biblically, I mean, that was the very first commandment, right? Genesis one twenty eight: be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And, uh, you know, I think God makes it pretty clear throughout Scripture um, in a lot of ways that, that that's a pretty crucial part of why he gives us the gift of marriage is not only for his glory, not only to grow us and to sanctify us, but just on a, on a practical level um, to make more image bearers and also, you know, because, and we'll get to this with the intimacy thing too, but um, on a, you know, practical, but also just whatever level, because he's a good father who gives good gifts, including, you know, I mean, he could have made making babies not fun, right? You realize that? Like, God could have made, and I, I don't want to make light of it, because, you know, we'll, we'll touch on this too. I mean, there, there could be those here who don't enjoy sex, and that's, that's a big thing, and that's a real thing, and that's something that we need to be able to talk about in our marriages, but... Or who can't that's, get pregnant. Or who can't get pregnant. Right, yeah. We, we could talk about that too. Um, so there's all sorts of ways, obviously, that God's good design has been corrupted by sin. It doesn't, doesn't negate or take away from the fact that um, the design itself is good, and um, that, you know, God gives us a good and uh, mutually edifying and bonding way of, of, of coming together in uh, the marital union in the act of sex for the purpose not only of our enjoyment, but of procreation and of, um, you know, get, you get this added beautiful bonus out of it um, sometimes, uh, you know, these, these kids that are rewards. So, um, and, and, and I do, I have a, note to myself here that I want to stop here and say a, a very pointed practical note on that to some of the young men in the room. So part of our story, um, as probably alluded to, you've heard before, is our journey with infertility. And we've got all sorts of kind of themes of, of just broken sexual stuff wrapped up in our story, uh, infertility being just one of them. But one of, one of the others that's kind of ended up being related to that was, you know, my own, again, selfish for most of life and marriage um, early on, my own, um, you know, just kind of, I guess, withholding even the conversation about having kids. Um, you know, I, is it safe to say that you would have been ready to have kids honeymoon or maybe like a month, maybe like a month or two in. So Polly was conceived on her parents' honeymoon. Um, but maybe, maybe like a, give it a month or two and then you would have been. There were some practical things to work out, like health insurance and, you know. Okay. Like, yeah. And you are yeah. very practical. I wanted so. to be a mom. That's like all I ever wanted to be. So I would have been thrilled and terrified and it would have been okay. Yeah. But, but I certainly withheld the conversation given we thought, oh, we're 20 two years, three years old, like, we have plenty of time to have kids. And I, all I want to say here on this point is, I think, I think it's important 
that in the church as, as believers, um, we really stop and look in the mirror and consider our motives with these things and question um, what's become the norm in the world's way of doing things, right? I mean, the world has a, a normal plan and the way that things go. And, um, you know, you, 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 you graduate. Um, I, I'm encouraged, by the way, that so many of y'all really are, like the young and married thing, that so many of y'all are, like, young, that you're, um, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with God's got a different plan for everybody. There's nothing wrong with being in, you know, your 30s and, and not being married. There's nothing wrong with never getting married. I mean, actually, it's better. Let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. We're all the failures, right? First Corinthians 7, Paul says, I wish everybody was like me, because then you can just devote yourself to the Lord all the time. But if you're too, you know, can't keep it in your pants, then you need to, you need to get married. And that's, that's basically First Corinthians 7. I mean, go read it for yourself. Um, so we're, we're all the failures. We're the dropouts that couldn't keep it in our pants. Uh, or, or that, you, you know, if you're engaged, you're planning on not being able to. You're burning with passion, and like, you need to shorten the engagement, and let's, let's go. Um, but what were we talking about? Kids. Um, so the world has, the world has like a, you know, the world has a plan. The world has a a timeline for these things that, um, you know, you sow your wild oats, you date forever. You, you, you know, when you get serious, you live together when she's getting ready to leave you because, you know, you, you won't finally propose then, you know, you, you do it when you have to. And, um, you put off kids as long as you can, you know, because they're just going to kind of get in the way of your freedom and, and all of that. I just want to push back on all of that. And I, again, I'm encouraged that so many of y'all are, are young. And so you at least hopefully for a lot of us have, have pushed back on the like sowing your wild oats and shacking up and all of that kind of stuff. But I think a lot of times in the church, we've sort of unconsciously bought into the, the world thing with the kids, with the kids ver, ner, a version of that narrative and um, part of that narrative where, you know, we... Um, Wait we, an arbitrary five years before you get Yeah, we've, we've got our plan, like we're, we're you know, we're going to save and we've got it all kind of in the Excel spreadsheet and, um, and you know, uh, we're going to have 2.5 kids starting at, you know, seven years into, 7.3 years into marriage. Yeah. Be, yeah, one boy, you know, two girls, whatever. And you've, you've got it all mapped out and a couple things wrong with that. Yeah. When we sat down, our, our plan was we're going to wait five years to have kids and at year four, for a number of reasons, I sat him down and thought it was time to, like, start talking about it. And, uh, and he looked at me like I was crazy and, like, he was not ready to have kids and it was going to happen tomorrow. Like, this, like, like a child was just going to appear tomorrow and we, we were going to have to figure that out and he wasn't ready. And I looked at him and I said, you know it could take, like, a year. And then, like, three years later, you know. So um, I look back at that and laugh because... Had I known, you know, I also look back at all the months that I thought I was pregnant, you know, and panicked, and um, then we couldn't get pregnant. So, um, yeah, I just, it's all in God's hands, and to know that from the beginning, and not that that means, you know, you don't have any time as a married couple, just there's something to be said for, like, figuring out who you are before you have kids, but don't make an arbitrary plan um, that doesn't include understanding that, like, the Lord will bring you children when it's time to have children, and um, but also don't withhold them arbitrarily, yeah. yeah. And that, you know, 
children are a gift from the Lord. They're a reward. I mean, that's what Psalm 127.3 says. Um, and they're not just a gift to you. You just kind of rent them for 18 years. And, I mean, they're God's gift to the world. If you, if you do your job as a parent and you're training them up, that's why the, the psalmist says they're like arrows in, in the quiver. The imagery is it's a militant image because it's like God is waging war in the world against the kingdom of hell and, and Satan. And uh, he wants to use your kids, your future kids, uh, to fight that battle. Um, you know, he wants us in the church that have been saved, you know, to be raising up kids that he can unleash on a godless world. Check your motives, men, men in particular, because I think, I, I don't want to be too stereotypical, but I do think oftentimes we're the ones holding up the, the train, right? I mean, we're the ones who, you know, that's, that, that is the stereotype is like, you know, um, she gets ready to be a mom and, and opens the conversation and we get freaked out and, you know, then you don't even touch it for another year or whatever because, um, you know, not ready. And, you know, if the, if the motives are, and I'll just speak for myself again, personal testimony. For me, it was, it was about the selfishness. It was, a, it was about, you know, this, this, uh, a, a child. I mean, that would, yeah, that would curb my, my freedom, my plans, um, my uh, ability to whatever. And, um, you know, if, if that, that is not a good reason not to have kids. If, if your reason for not having kids is um, because you are going to be a missionary and, um, you know, kids aren't allowed in whatever place you're going, like maybe that's a good reason. If you're not having kids because you don't think you have enough money, I mean... They're really, kids are, but I want to push back, I want to push back, yeah, we want to push back on the financial thing, though, too, because kids really, I mean, they're expensive, but um, I don't think that's a good reason not to, I I think the default, let me just, I'll sum it up this way, I think the Bible's default is you get married young, hopefully, young enough to have a lot of kids, and um, I've got a whole podcast on birth control, so you can go you can go listen to that on the Ask the Pastor. And uh, but I, I just I want to encourage you if you again if you don't get anything else, go home and uh, you know talk about this one. Like, hey, um, do we need to do we need to think about you know this this idea that God really wants more image bearers and he will make you ready. He will prepare you. You think the finances aren't ready, he'll he'll provide. You think that emotionally, you think that you don't have the stability in your relationship. You'll never be ready. That's the thing. I mean with, with any of the most important decisions you ever make in life, like how many of you were totally just ready and prepared the day that you said I do in marriage? Um God God will gets you there when it comes to things like kids. So don't push that off indefinitely. I'm going to let you take this last part of this section because I've been talking a lot about marriages covenant because I know this was one that you specifically said, like, we need to tie tie the bow on session one with, with this. Yeah, um, 
just the idea that if the foundation of your marriage is anything other than a covenant promise, be warned because um, pretty quickly you will figure out um, that that is not something to to base your marriage on, that uh, marriage is a covenant offers security and nothing else is going to offer that security. Um, like your feelings towards each other will change. That doesn't mean that, you know, they're going to go away. Like it's just, it's going to be different. You're not always going to necessarily have those butterflies. Although when you asked that at church a few months ago, the Smiths Remember who that? were in their 80s raised their hand that they still feel butterflies for each other, which is, I think they've been married like 60 years. That's, yeah. I'm not sure I believe them, but it's adorable. It is, yeah. It is. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and like, yeah, how you feel will, will change. Um, your stability may change, right? Like your job situation, your financial situation can go up and down and change, and that's not a, you know, a, a thing to base your marriage on. Your companionship um, can change. Like there are many people who feel lonely in marriage. Um, that's obviously not the plan, but um, just because you get married doesn't mean that um, you have this best friend companion who's going to fulfill all of your needs. That's not how it's designed. Um, but yeah, the only thing that's going to bring you security in your marriage is the covenant and understanding that you have the same reason for getting married and coming at it from the same perspective and, um, and ultimately knowing that, that that is the good reason to be married and stay married. And I'll just tell this story quickly because I think it's, um, I think it glorifies God uh, to speak to his ability to redeem even the most stupid, impure of our own motives. I think I can honestly say that, and I look back on my parents' divorce from middle school and say, yeah, I, there was a time when I was like, no good can come from this. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is just all bad. God used my parents' divorce to save our marriage. Because, to save it? To save it. Because two years into our marriage, um, I, I genuinely believe that if my parents hadn't split, that I would have just called it quits. That I, I think that, that I, I can distinctly remember thinking two years into our marriage, I want to give up, but if I do, it will be a, a, a concession or a recognition that I'm no better than my father was. And that I just, I leave when things get hard. And it was my own pride <laughs> that saved our marriage. Like, how, how amazing is God that he can even use our pride and my wanting to be better than my father uh, to, to keep us together? To me, that, that speaks of, of God's ability to redeem. And, but all, all that to say, whatever the motive, you know, even, even something as impure as that, like, if we, we, we've got to have that bedrock foundation that, that doesn't, shift because, yeah, the, the feelings are going to change. I was listening to a podcast on marriage just throughout this week preparing for this, and the guy was saying, you know, we, yeah, in, in society, the world's version, it's, yeah, it's your feelings or sort of the foundations, your feelings change, you get divorced, whatever. And, um, you know, the, the this Christian counselor was pointing out, like, you know, praise, praise God that our feelings change. I mean, the butterfly thing, I, I think the Smiths are are, I mean, obviously they're anomalous, but, you know, the, the guy was saying, like, you know, can you imagine feeling the way that you felt on your first date for 60 years? <laughs> like, I mean, your heart would literally explode from the adrenaline. Um, 
you know, you would just be in a constant state of like, I mean, I, I can remember, yeah, not being able to, to eat or sleep, you know, crying because I just loved her so much and not being with her every moment of the day. I mean, those kinds of things are not healthy long term, right? They're great. God's design, the way that he's designed us is great for like bonding us together early in, in that relationship. But um, you, would, you would die from, you know, lack of sleep and, and whatever um, from, from all that, those butterflies. So all that to say, like, praise God that uh, feelings do change and that all the joys of that, that early cool part of the relationship were there uh, in, in most cases, you know, praise God, but that that's not the foundation, right? Um, and again, our, our stories are, are different and, and it's good to be able to look back on that and remember those times. But, um, you know, I think my encouragement in our marriage is that it can get even better. I mean, I can honestly say that. So. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Ask the Pastor. Remember that you can ask your questions each week at the info bar at West Hills or by submitting them online through our website at westhillsstl.org. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. And thanks for listening.